Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Whether you're brand new to Ward Church or have been here for a long time, I want you to know that God loves you, and I love you too. Today we wrap up our series on the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and it's been an all-church experience. A lot of us have been reading through that Old Testament book of the Bible. Hundreds of us have been studying Nehemiah in small groups. Our middle school and high school students have been working their way through Nehemiah and leading the way. Our Nehemiah wall that we have built over the last few Sundays is not with me on the platform today. It's been relocated down to the large lobby area just outside the Renew Cafe. And today, after this service, I'd like to invite you to go down to that wall and read some of the prayers and commitments and confessions of the people of this church. I'd like you to pray alongside that wall. Maybe place a hand along that wall and linger near it today as we lift our prayers together. We began six weeks ago with giving everybody a little puzzle piece with a little section of the wall. Uh, Have you determined which part of this broken world God is calling you to fix alongside him? Have you figured out how God has moved and broken your heart? Throughout the book of Nehemiah, we have seen a process, and the process begins with tears. God moves in the heart of a person. And in this case, the person is the person named Nehemiah. And he responds to that broken heart, and he rallies the people to rebuild the broken walls of Jerusalem. And the people push through opposition, and they hear the scriptures read, and they receive those scriptures, and they confess their sin, and a revival breaks out in that place. And then last week we saw how they recommitted themselves to God and to the temple practice. Last week and this week you were handed a little commitment card that mirrors the commitments the people made in Nehemiah chapter 10. And uh, I encourage you to fill this out either digitally or physically with that little card. I'd actually like to ask you to do both. If you will fill it out digitally using the QR code or the app, that will save some processing time. But if you fill out that physical card today, you'll have a chance to drop your commitment along with your brothers and sisters of your church, and there'll be baskets in the back as we leave today that you can drop your commitments in. Today we're going to look at the final step in the Nehemiah process, which is celebration. And I'm going to read for you again that celebration from Nehemiah chapter 12, minus all the difficult names. Uh, There are a lot of uh, names listed in Nehemiah, and usually they get skipped over, but today we had them read, and I just imagine somebody up in heaven saying, hey, they read my name today. Um, They murdered the pronunciation, but they read my name uh, today. And we'll look at that celebration again in just a few moments, but first, how important is celebration to the human spirit? What role does the spiritual discipline of celebration play in personal transformation? God in the Old Testament mandates no fewer than 12 feasts and festivals, and some of these festivals go on for a week or more. These festivals, commanded by God, included worship and sacrifice, but for the most part, it seems the time was devoted to food, wine, fellowship, music, and dancing. In short, these were God-commanded celebrations. You ever been to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah? These are uh, very honoring times where a Jewish boy or girl is declared an adult and there's the reading of the Torah and there's uh, mutual blessings exchanged and then there is a partay, 
I've, I've been to only a couple of these in my lifetime, and the parties both were over the top. There was incredible food and live music and dancing and gift-giving. The Jewish tradition really knows how to throw a good party. The church that I grew up in, the most exciting event was a potluck supper. Not the same thing at all. Twelve different ways to make deviled eggs. Uh, the church I grew up in did not know how to party. The very first miracle recorded of our Lord was Jesus uh, turning water into wine. And then, according to the church I grew up in, he turned the wine into grape juice. (laughs) The most common biblical imagery of what heaven is going to feel like is a great banquet, an incredible celebration, a wedding feast. Apparently, to God, to Jesus, and to eternity, celebration is a big deal and ought to be a big part of the human experience. Dallas Willard calls celebration the most overlooked and misunderstood discipline. The most overlooked and misunderstood discipline. This is what uh, Dallas Willard writes. He says, a healthy faith cannot be built and maintained without heartfelt celebration. Celebration, heartily done, makes our deprivations and our sorrows seem small. And we find in it great strength to do the will of our God because his goodness becomes so real to us. Isn't that great? A a healthy faith cannot be built and maintained without heartfelt celebration. Celebration is important and necessary and it makes God's goodness real to us. Dallas Willard writes elsewhere these words. He says, human hearts are radically unsuited for the pain that comes to them in living life in this world. Therefore, that fragility of the human heart has to be offset with huge doses of celebration or the life gets squeezed out of us. The human heart needs celebration. It is an overlooked uh, discipline and we underestimate the necessity of joy. And this is what's going on in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a fantastic leader and he understands the importance of celebration. The task is not finished until it is celebrated. We read this in Nehemiah halfway through the book. Nehemiah said to the people, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now we often think of discipline as the abstinence from pleasurable things. But Nehemiah commanded the people here to revel in them as a spiritual discipline. Choice food can be as much a spiritual discipline as fasting. Now, we all expect a prophet to tell us to eat locusts and Brussels sprouts, but here Nehemiah commands the people to eat the equivalent of Fritos and cupcakes. John Ortberg writes this about uh, pleasure and celebration. True celebration is the inverse of hedonism. This is really important. Hedonism is the demand for more and more pleasure for personal gratification. It always follows the law of diminishing return so that what produced joy in us yesterday no longer does today. Our capacity for joy diminishes. That's hedonism. Celebration is not like that. When we celebrate, we exercise our ability to take delight today in something we would have uh, haven't even noticed yesterday. Our capacity for joy increases. It is possible to increase our capacity for joy, and joy is an essential part of human life. Lou Smeads says this, 
He says to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. C.S. Lewis famously said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. And our own Apostle Paul wrote these words, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Always. And in case you missed it, I will say it again, rejoice, rejoice. So Nehemiah takes people through this process. They labor in a great cause. They work really hard. And then they engage in Bible reading and they receive that. And after the Bible reading, that naturally leads them to confession of their sin. And confession of their sin naturally leads them to recommit themselves to God. And that naturally leads them to worship and celebration. They follow this process. So how do you practice the spiritual discipline of celebration? How do you grow in joy? And people wise in spiritual life and development uh, generally offer three suggestions to how to grow as a joy-filled person. And their first suggestion goes along these lines. Set aside a day a week as a celebration day. I have a pastor friend who eats very healthy six days a week, and then on Sunday, it's all out the window and eats his most favorite things. He starts his day with pancakes smothered with whipped cream. And then he goes to church and he gets a donut. And after church, uh, he goes to Taco Bell because Chick-fil-A isn't open. (laughs) And then he washes it all down with a vanilla milkshake, which is one of his favorite things. Now, it's interesting that all the biblical fasts, and even the fast we do today with with like 40 days of Lent, people often give something up for Lent or they fast over Lent 40 days. Sundays are never part of the 40-day count. They're not because Sundays aren't supposed to be a day of fasting. They are a day of feasting and of celebration. No, it doesn't have to be a Sunday. Find one day a week where you eat the food you love, listen to music that moves your soul, play sports that stretch and challenge you, read books that refresh you, wear clothes that make you happy, surround yourself with beauty, and as you do, you give thanks to God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift and increases your capacity for joy. Their second recommendation, uh, spiritual people, goes along these lines. Find a joy mentor. We all know people who are, who are joy carriers, right? When you're around these people, you feel your own joy just increase, and we need to treasure these people and find these people and spend more time with these people. But we also know in our lives joy depleters. When you're around them, you just feel your life and energy being sucked out of you. Now, you have to love these people, but you might need to monitor how much time you spend with them And you certainly can't allow them to shape you. We live in what Robert Hughes has called a culture of complaints. And when you live in a culture of complaint, it's no wonder that depression is rising. Find a joy mentor. And the third uh, counsel they often give is practice joy today. The psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and in it be glad. Is it right to be joyful in a world of hunger and violence and injustice? And this leads to a curious, surprising discovery. Often it is the people closest to suffering who have the most powerful joy. Friends of Mother Teresa said that instead of being overwhelmed by the suffering around her, uh, she glowed with joy as she went about her, mer- uh, her ministries of mercy. One of the English officers imprisoned in Germany with Dietrich Bonhoeffer said of him, Bonhoeffer always seemed to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. 
If we didn't rejoice today, we wouldn't rejoice at all. If we wait for the circumstances to be perfect, we'll still be waiting on the day that we die. If we rejoice, we must rejoice today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Celebration is at the heart of the way of Jesus Christ. Think about his life. He entered into the world on this high day of jubilation on Christmas time when the angels proclaimed, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus started his life with joy and he ended his life bequeathing joy to his disciples when he said this to them, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is the will of Jesus. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And it is possible to do things to increase our joy capacity. You and I can do things to become more joy-filled people. Now let's return to the story of Nehemiah chapter 12. You heard read earlier um, this, and I'm going to skip over the names here, but uh, he said in, in chapter 12, Nehemiah says, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall, the completed wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the scribe, led the procession. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half of the people whose names I will skip. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I. The choirs sang under the direction of Zezariah. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Nehemiah pulls out all the stops. He recruits musicians and singers from all around the whole region, and he forms two choirs, two marching bands. And one of them he has on top of the completed wall, marching in a counterclockwise direction. And the other one he has with other leaders up on the other side, walking in the opposite direction. This might have been the first time people ever heard stereo sound. Imagine being in the city with surround sound all around those walls being engulfed in that great sound. And it says the women and children rejoiced as well. In that time and place, women and children were often told to be quiet. But not today. Today they are part of the rejoicing. When the two choirs walked around the wall and met in the middle, they descend the stairs and they enter the temple for an unforgettable worship experience. And people bring their sacrifices and their tithes in and pledge them to God and pledge them to the temple of God. And the people sing with full heart and full voice. Now notice how much movement is involved in this worship experience. The people march, they process, they give, they present. There's a lot of movement in worship. In our church, I've noticed we don't have a lot of, a lot of movement in our worship services. Um, some churches do. Some churches have a lot of dancing in the aisles. But I'm a Presbyterian, and people can tell when I'm filled with joy and excitement, I will shift my weight from one leg to the other. <laughs> That's how you know. He, he's, really humming, he's really humming today. But Nehemiah has them move. They're physically engaged. They walk. They march. They process. They present. They're physically involved in participating in this great worship experience. The story goes on in Nehemiah chapter 12. At that time, uh, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions. 
first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the singers and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel, Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. They all brought in a portion of their produce, a portion of their income, into the temple to support its work. This is what the Bible commands. But you get the sense here, this isn't just them responding to a biblical commandment. They're operating out of joy. People often think, I will give more, I will be more generous when I have more money. But a lot of research shows that's just not true. In fact, the research shows people that have a higher income uh, generally give a smaller uh, proportion of their money away. The truth is people do not become generous. They do not give when they have more money. They begin giving when they have more joy. This is the key verse in uh, Nehemiah, our passage today. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because why? God had given them great joy. God had given them great joy. There's this connection between giving and joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And I wonder if the neighboring nations who had mocked the people of Judah wondered in this moment when they heard the singing and the dancing and the music, wonder if they had underestimated this little tribe of Judah. Now, Nehemiah could have skipped the party due to time or budget constraints, it might have seemed like even the responsible thing to do. But Nehemiah understood the power of a party. He understood the centrality of celebration. The celebration proved to be a, become a very essential part of their faith story of the people of Jerusalem. And that party went down into the memory and into the psyche of the people of Jerusalem for decades to follow. The story of Nehemiah got retold. And I imagine people sitting around with their children and grandchildren and retelling them the story of this time. And it went something like this. Grandchildren, God did an amazing work in those wall-rebuilding days. First, God moved in the heart of a man named Nehemiah who lived 800 miles away, but God moved him to tears. Grandchild, God can direct you through your tears. God can move you through your broken hearts. And God prompted Nehemiah to leave his cushy job in the palace and come to Jerusalem and engage the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That was a God thing. And then God moved in the, mar in the life of Artaxerxes, a powerful pagan king, gave to Nehemiah a leave of absence and a military escort and lumber to build the gates. Grandchildren, look at those gates right there. Look at them right now. That wood came from the timber of a forest of a pagan king. Figure that one out. That's a miracle. Only God can do that kind of work. When Nehemiah rallied people to attempt to rebuild the walls, everybody was in. Not 20 people, not 20%, not 80%. Everybody was in. How often in the course of human history has that ever happened? That had to be God. And when neighboring nations mocked and ridiculed and said they were going to come in with swords and spears and kill us, 
God stilled everyone's heart and filled people with courage, and they didn't run, they didn't scatter, they stayed focused. And when Ezra read the scriptures for six hours straight, the people received the scriptures with an open heart. God, may my life be what was reflected in the words that were read. And when Nehemiah challenged people to confess their sin, everyone confessed and got honest with God. And when Nehemiah crafted a new covenant for people to sign, listen to this grandchild, Nehemiah signed it first. And then all of our leaders signed it. And then believe it or not, people lined up on that day. They could not wait to affix their names to this renewed commitment to God the Father. Only God could have orchestrated all that. And so that became part of the story of the Israelites that got retold through the generations, that era when God had been so amazing. A wall didn't just go up. The people got reestablished in their faith and in community, and the reputation of God got reestablished throughout the known world. I feel like God's doing a renewing work in our church right now. And I'd like to tell my grandkids someday about this fantastic era in the life of Ward Church. Oh, grandchild! It was an amazing run. People laid aside their pride and got humble and honest before God. We confessed sins that we were unable to recognize even a short time ago. We confessed our sins and we irrevocably committed ourselves to our God and to each other. And new levels of generosity were unleashed. Only God can do those things. Even outsiders began to notice and say there must be something supernatural going on there. And listen, grandchild, the people exhibited a deep and profound gratefulness, the kind of gratefulness that shapes the soul. There was a pure, unadulterated joy. It was a chapter in our story that changed us forever. Let's pray that it would be so. O eternal and ever-present God, thank you for the inspiring story of Nehemiah. We pray that you would lead and shape us the way you led and shaped your people long ago. Forgive us the times we have lived naive and unaware of your awesome deeds. We have not paid attention to your glory all around us. We have not lived gratefully with a sense of awe and wonder. Form us into grateful people of joy. Receive now the praise of your people as we declare in one voice, how great thou art. This we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen, amen.